the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, is pleased to present the C4SO Podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the C4SO Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and this is our final podcast for Black History Month. Um, One of the ways that C4SO is commemorating Black History Month is celebrating Black poetry and photography through a contemplation and discussion group led by the Reverend Tisha Hadra and the Reverend Kimberly Deckel. Um, Throughout February, Tisha and Kimberly have been highlighting works by Black poets and also featuring the photography of Gordon Parks. Um, The links to uh, all of their kind of curated contemplations are on the website and in in the show notes. And then tonight, uh, which is uh, this podcast is coming out on February 28th at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, Kimberly and Tisha are leading an online discussion about those poems and photographs. Uh, The link to register for that discussion uh, is in the show notes as well. Also during Black History Month, C4SO has been celebrating artist Steve Prince, who is a mixed media artist, master printmaker, lecturer, educator, and art evangelist. We've licensed four of Steve's social media, uh, so, sorry, social justice artworks to feature on C4SO's social media. During Black History Month, we're providing questions and prompts for you to do Visio Divina or Sacred Seeing. And the link to all of those is also in the show notes. Our guest today uh, on the podcast is Greg Thompson. Greg is a scholar, artist, writer, and producer whose work focuses on race and equity. He currently serves as the executive director of Voices Underground, an initiative to promote the nationally significant story of the Underground Railroad in our community and as a research fellow in African-American cultural heritage at Lincoln University. Uh, and he has become good friends with our bishop, Todd Hunter. Greg, welcome to the C4SO podcast. Thanks. I'm very happy to, to be with you all. Uh, besides what I read there in your bio, what else should we know about you before we dive in? Mm, I mean, I don't know much uh, much else. I'm um, <laughs> I'm married to Courtney. I've got four mm-hmm. kids based okay. in Charlottesville, Virginia. And um, and some people will know my work on reparations. So yeah, I'll yeah. just kind of leave it we're that. Gonna, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, well, I'll, I'll recommend the book uh, a little bit later, and we'll put a link in the show notes. It is a, a great book. So, uh, But we want to focus today on your work with Voices Underground. Um, the website uh, talks about focusing on racial healing through increasing exposure to the story of the Underground Railroad in the public square. Um you know, I haven't I haven't thought about the Underground Railroad in a while. I know there's a TV show produced recently um, about um, Harriet Tubman and all of that kind of thing. But for you, like, what is it about the Underground Railroad? Um, why focus on this part of American history to kind of agitate for racial justice and healing? Well, um, part of it is is the is geographically born. I mean, we a lot of this work is based in in uh, Pennsylvania, Chester County, Pennsylvania specifically, okay. and that was really a, a central geography of freedom. It was right across the border from enslavement into freedom, and so a lot of the work in our, with our partners there focused on the Underground Railroad because of the historic significance of the place. But in terms of the more national story, I mean, 
first, this is America's first civil rights movement. Okay. Mm, I mean, yeah. and the abolitionist movement and it's, and the underground railroad, um, which was a critical, um, part of it, mm. the most kind of clandestine part of it, um, was, a was, it's kind of, it really set the, the found the, uh, let's say it set the terms for the civil rights movements that would come. Mm. It was, it was collaborative. Um, it was very focused on, on liberation and, and freedom. Um, it worked across racial boundaries, across gender, across, you know, geographic lines. Yeah. Um, and it was incredibly significant. And in a moment right now, like right now, where it's hard to find collaborative stories that move us towards, towards racial healing and towards cultural healing, this is one that we need to, to think about and to know about. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you call storytelling sacred work. Um, what do you mean by this and how, uh, how do we learn to honor this sacredness in our storytelling work? Well, I think I mean it in two ways. Well, you know, one is you're dealing with, with the realities of other people's lives. I mean, you know, their griefs, their, their sorrows, their hopes, their mm -hmm. bodies. Um, and so to, to try to tell those stories truly is, is a way of honoring them and recognizing the realities and even the, the weaknesses, you know, the realities of strength and of weakness that, that they had in their lives, just like we have mm -hmm. in ours. And so storytelling is an act of love um, for those whose stories you are telling. Yeah. Um, but it's also sacred in the sense that it's part of the way that we ourselves become transformed and we ourselves become made whole is uh, through the transformation of our imaginations. And this is why storytelling work is so such a critical part of racial healing, because, you know, the broken parts of America's racial life are not just in terms of our policies and in terms of our structures, although they certainly are those things. It's mm -hmm. also in terms of the broken imagination that we have. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's sacred in the sense, not only that we're stewarding other people's stories, but that we are, we are helping to heal ourselves and one another through this work. Yeah. You know, I, I read, um, last year, maybe a couple of years ago, Isabel Wilkerson's, um, the warmth of a thousand, uh, what's it called? The warmth of other sons. The warmth of other suns, yeah, the warmth of other suns, and that that was one of the things that struck me um, from her book. It's not very polemical, right? It's not like we need you know to do something about racism. It's not it's not a book like that, but it it simply tells the stories um, through kind of these three main stories of of the Great Migration, you know, of people moving from the South to California or Chicago or you know different areas, and just uh, just tells their stories. Um, and uh, it it did have a I'm just recognizing now like it it had to have a pretty profound effect on me. Um, it just sort of humanized uh, the 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 facts and the data um, in a way that I think um, relates to some of what you're talking about with the sacredness of storytelling. Yeah, and you know Howard Howard Thurman in his book Jesus and the Disinherited, he he notes that you know one of the features that sustains our racial pain in this country is our lack of proximity, um, yeah. both physical and imaginative, to one another. And so, yeah. where I can't overcome you know real estate practices in the United States, you know, and other other things, mm -hmm. but what what we can do is create places of proximity in one another's hearts and minds for for each other. Yeah. Um, and that's really the, the work to try to create these places where people can find each other. Yeah, that's good. Um, what are some of the things that you do, um, just practically speaking, at Voices Underground? How do you engage in the work of storytelling? What does it look like? 
So with Voices Underground, our goal really is to help communities, local communities that want to recover um, and articulate and honor the, the stories that are often forgotten in their communities around African-American cultural history. And Chester County has been our primary work and the Underground Railroad has been our primary work, but we, we work in other communities as well. Um, and so I think it's, it's important to say that part of our work concretely is to come alongside communities and to say, all right, what stories do you want to tell and how could we, how could we help you tell them mm -hmm. and support that work? Um, okay. And so, um, you know, we work, um, we do basically three things in this Chester County work. One, we do, we do uh, scholarly research, which means that if you're going to tell the story of the Underground Railroad, this was by nature a difficult thing to document. It was by nature secretive. And mm -hmm. so we, we set up a research institute at Lincoln University, the first HBCU in the United States, um, which is also in Chester County, to try to be the, a kind of a central place where we could study these stories and, and figure out, like, what are actual sites? Who are the people that came through here? What happened to the descendants? Mm -hmm. So telling those stories is really critical from a scholarly perspective. So scholarly research, we also do public experiences, meaning... Okay. We don't just want the stories to be true. We want them to be transformative. And so we do film hmm. screenings. We do these things called secret suppers where we partner with African-American chefs and bring people together in sites of historic significance and have meals that tell the story of the Underground Railroad. We did hmm. one, for example, last year at Lincoln University for like 100 people. Um, um, and and um, so we do the, the, we do we've done heritage tours where we take people down to civil rights sites Um we have also uh, begun work on a cocktail bar and restaurant uh, oh. called Star and Lantern, which is really rooted in the history of the Underground Railroad and African-American foodways and African-American cocktails. And that should open. It'll probably open in 2024. It's in an old building and it's taken a long time to kind of get it in <laughs> shape. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, and then we started the Juneteenth Festival for the whole county. And so yeah. that, that was these are these are just different creative ways. To, to do this work, you know, before mm -hmm. uh, we were working in Chester, I was working in Memphis. And, you know, another example is we, we wrote a musical um, about the sanitation workers um, with show Baraka and some other, other partners there. So mm -hmm. I, um, that's the kind of work that that's the kind of work that I've been doing. And that's, that's how it, how it's taken shape in Chester yeah. County. Yeah. Um, you, you talk about, you know, we, we talk a bit about like racial justice um, I think the phrase that's intriguing to me is racial healing that you have on your website. You talk about that. Um, can you say a bit more about wh what do you mean by racial healing? And are, are there examples of that taking place that, that make, that help you know, Hey, I think our work is doing something significant or important. Well, I mean, the, the idea here is that um, American racism is a, is is not just a social fact or a historical reality or a political reality. It's also an existential, personal, and moral reality. This mm -hmm. is not in any way to reduce it to that. Um, mm -hmm. But but nobody nobody gets out of the American caste system whole, and yeah. and I think that and I think that's been a, a consistent um, theme in in American civil rights work. You know, I mean, Amer mm -hmm. King and Frederick Douglass alike used to talk about America as a sick nation, um, and so there's there's brokenness and harm both in the imaginations of people on all so parts of the caste system there are um, broken relationships they're actually broken social structures and so the idea here is uh, if we can begin to tell the truth <laughs> that's a morally healing act um both for those who tell it and those whose truths are told and and have the grace of recognition 
Um, but then it, it sets the, it sets the conditions or puts the conditions in place to really address the, the kind of political and social and economic, et cetera, realities yeah. that we really have to deal with in light of the, the choices that we've made as a nation. Yeah. Hey everybody, it is time once again for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're praying for Emmanuel Anglican Church in Decatur, Georgia, which is led by the Reverend Matthew Brown. He has joined us on the podcast today to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray for them. Matthew, welcome back to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. It's good to be here again, Ben. Uh, what is something that you're encouraged by right now that's happening at Emmanuel? Uh, I'm really encouraged by how united uh, and generous our leadership team is, and that's both our staff mm. leadership and, and vestry. We've, um, mm. well, like, I mean, the whole world, we've gone through an incredible thing the last couple of years, and, and uh, pastors and churches are places that have, have um, paid particularly hard prices sometimes. And, um, that's right. And it's made its way into, you know, our families. And um, mm. I mentioned this in the email, but uh, my family has actually gone through a, a pretty uh, prolonged, difficult medical emergency season as well. And wow. so it's taken okay. a lot of support and a lot of generosity. And um, the church has just risen to the the challenge and has been incredibly supportive and mm. kind. And um, so, yeah, I'm very grateful to be to be where I am and to have the people that I'm serving alongside with. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after two, uh, is it two years? Yeah, <laughs> it pandemic. is. It feels like an eternity, doesn't it? But yeah, especially after two years of a global pandemic that, you know, and all the stuff you hear about churches, pastors resigning and, you know, yeah. uh, churches kind of folding. Uh, you're right. It's something to be really grateful for. Um, yeah, it really uh, is. That, yeah. Wonderful. Um, how about flip side of that? What's the challenge that y'all are facing right now uh, that you'd like to let us know about? Um, so we, one of the things ever since the summer of 2020, you know, with the murder of George, George Floyd and here in Atlanta, you know, the, the, the lynching yeah. of Ahmad Arbery was also on our you know, front burner um, yep. uh, cause Brunswick's not, not too far from us. And um, hmm. we have been trying to really embrace what it means for us to be uh, a diverse and equitable and inclusive space in our city. And Atlanta is a beautiful and diverse place. It has a really, really rich racial history. And so we get to stand on the shoulders of uh, not just the civil rights movement, but all the local uh, historically black churches that are still in our neighborhoods that have been holding that, that witness for, for literally for generations. Anyway, so since since that summer, we've been our, as a leadership doing a lot of work to try to find what are the ways in which we are being um, exclusive. How are we inhospitable? What are mm-hmm. the things in, mm-hmm. in our programming, staffing, policies, uh, culture? The you know the caught not taught stuff that is actually creating barriers and walls to us becoming a place that reflects the diversity of Atlanta. And so we've worked with uh, two one local pastor, a man of color named Daryl Ford, who's an incredible church planner at Icon uh, Community, and then also uh, the Lufton Center, which is out of uh, an organization called Focus Community Strategies. And both of these uh, have come alongside our team to help us both first learn where we're uh, ignorant, mm-hmm. and then second, um, to begin to help us put practical steps in place uh, as far as how do we actually, as a 
predominantly white church move towards the sort of uh, diversity and equity that we so long to be as a reflection of God's kingdom. And we are, after two years, finally at the place where it's like um, we're meeting with uh, FCS in a couple of weeks. They've been doing a ton of surveying of our church, and they're going to come and lay before us like, here's where we think you can make uh, big, take big strides. Mm-hmm. These are the, going to be the sacrifices. This is what it's going to, you know, how, where it's going to show up and what you're asking your people to galvanize around. And so it's it's been a really long process to get here, yeah. Um, but we're finally here. And yeah. so, in a lot of ways, like the challenge before us is to is to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I, I think it's going to be, it's probably going to cost us in ways that we don't understand right now. And there's mm-hmm. going to be um, value decisions that are going to have to be made around, you know, putting maybe putting aside sacred cows in order to to really move towards this more inclusive yeah. uh, vision that God's laid on our heart. So that would probably mm-hmm. be a, a big challenge that. We would just yeah. love people's prayer for um, as yeah. we try to live into that. Yeah, and that's happening in a couple of weeks. So, kind of a, a a question mark, assuming it's going to be a challenge, but not actually sure what the concrete uh, sort of the contour is. Right? The, yeah. Like, what's that going to look like? But uh, pretty confident that uh, it will involve, yeah, some significant changes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know, I know you guys at, at the table have also had to, had to do, to do this, this work and, mm-hmm. and have done a really deep dive in it. And it's, it is like, um, it's just one of the things that we have, uh, m- most, I know probably many people listening to this, our majority culture, it's a sign of our privilege to be able to say like, this is getting a little too hard. I think I'll just kind of stick with the, the status quo. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, that's just easy. That's yep. I mean, especially yeah. when you're tired, <laughs> when yeah. you've been living through a pandemic for two years and there's right. yeah, every there's always, excuse yeah. in the world. There's so, always something. Yeah. Um, just wanting really hardly to, uh, really badly to have the, the willingness to follow whatever yeah. they've laid before us. Yeah. Well, man, blessings on that. I, I commend your heart uh, to want to uh, lean into that um, because it is, as you said, it's, it's not, uh, it's not an easy thing, um, especially for us as majority culture um, churches and, and people, um, just mm-hmm. because it's, we don't have, we've never developed those muscles, you know, right, um, yeah. there's always something that we can kind of resort to. So, so blessings, man, uh, and, yeah, and good work. So listeners, if you would like to learn more about Emmanuel Anglican Church or uh, contribute to their work, you can check out the link in the show notes. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Matthew. Thanks so much, Ben. Take care. There's traditionally kind of this bifurcation uh, in at least conservative evangelical circles, right, between something that we would think of as systemic, like racism, so we have to change policies and that this kind of a thing. But the answer to, like, the rejection of that has sometimes meant just like, well, we just need to change people's hearts, you know, and that kind of a thing. But I, I see what, what you're talking about with racial healing as um, not necessarily splitting those two things, but there's a, there's a soul to the policy change, all, all the structural things we need to do to address this, um, there has to be some soul in the, in the middle of it. I don't know that's the word that's coming to mind for me well, in terms of the importance of healing. Yeah, well, I think part of what we're trying to you know, do is recognize that storytelling is, a, is both a personal and a public act. Um, and one of the one of the things about like think about if you went yeah. to the EJI Memorial, the National Lynching Memorial, or if you've even been to the Lincoln Memorial or some places, you know, where you've seen these acts of public storytelling, even in films or in books. Right. Um, these are these are public acts that that are simultaneously acting 
on the person and yes. the system because it's making some of the prejudicial dimensions of our system less morally plausible. Um, right. And so, yeah, I very much, as you may know from my other work, am going to resist any notion of an of a overly over privatization of this conversation. Yes. yes. Um, but the question is how how can we not just get a certain policy passed, which we need to do, but how can we be made whole and how can we find yes. each other in our wholeness yes. and as a part of that work? Yeah. And that storytelling is is really I think it it moves in the private and the public simultaneously. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. I mean it reminds me a bit of um how I hear Cornell West uh talk uh sometimes where he he's very much in tune with um yeah, there has to be a whole person kind of transformation, um, relational transformation, in addition to the structural and policy change that we need as well. Yeah, that's right. And I, I would also say that um, we've chosen storytelling, which in another context I refer to as reparations of truth. Um, mm. Mm. Uh, but it's it, this is just one part of the work that all of us need to yeah. do. There are other dimensions of this as well. This is just what you know, I, I am working in, um, yeah. and I see it as one part of the larger work of, yeah, yeah, that's good. Own. That's good. <laughs> this is a side note, but, um, I, I, re- I was remembering a series that uh, my wife and I watched on Netflix a little while back called high on the hog. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, have you watched that? Have you seen Oh yeah, that? sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, how African-American cuisine changed, uh, America. It, re- it reminds me a little bit of what you're talking about because it's not just about the food, for them, they they also talk about the story of um, you know the Middle Passage. That you know he goes back to Africa to Benin, um, where a lot of slaves were from, and kind of anyway, it just reminded me of that. That there was and there were some very uh, very moving moments in that you know for for him as an African American host and um, you know just sort of telling the story of uh, where they came from and um, finding some healing through. But you know, food is a big part of it. Um, because, yeah, to- uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, and I think one of the important things about that, so I don't, you probably don't know this, but one of the things that I do is I work in food, both I'm opening a cocktail bar and restaurant and I work as a chef oh, part time. Okay. Um, yeah. And I write a column called the welcome table for comment magazine, which is really about food and culture. And, okay. and one, one of the, the reasons for that is that, and one of the reasons I love high on the hog is that it recognizes that, um, colonization was not just a political and economic act. It was also an imaginative act, meaning we colonized the imagination. And so for, for a long time, many of us just don't know the truth of our own stories and our own histories. And so there's a lot of this storytelling work that's happening in multiple places and music and food, you know, obviously in in places of more public reckoning around monuments and memorials and things like that. And I, I think that's a really, really important movement for churches to be involved in because a lot of times mm. when we're talking about racial justice, we tend to talk in conventional terms about, you yeah. know, whether it's healthcare and money and, and, and which all of which I affirm. Yeah. But oftentimes we're very equipped to do the work of storytelling and we need to see that as a really critical horizon of racial justice. And that's what I see high on the hog as it's, it's yes. like, here's actually the truth on this. And there are people like Adrian Miller, um, who wrote a book called Black Smoke about the history of African-American barbecue. There's a, and then one of the mm-hmm. most important people is Michael Twitty, who wrote a book called The Cooking Gene, which hmm. essentially says just about everything that was in High on the Hog. Um, okay. It's a fascinating book that, that I would just really commend to listeners. All right. Very good. So we've got a TV show recommendation and a book recommendation. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's good. <laughs> that's good. Um, you mentioned the, the Juneteenth Festival that you guys host in Chester County. Do you guys have plans for Juneteenth 2022? 
We do actually. Um, thanks for asking that. So one of the, I, I mentioned earlier that we help other communities outside of Chester County in this work. And one of the most important and exciting things that we have right now is we've now been hired by the, the state of Pennsylvania, the, the government of Pennsylvania, the tourism yeah. office to develop Juneteenth festivals across the state. And the way that we're doing that um, is we're identifying communities that have been doing Juneteenth festivals, and we set up a grant program for them to really promote oh. their work, build their work. And we're trying to integrate a kind of a coherent Juneteenth story across across the state of Pennsylvania. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this year we're still doing the Juneteenth Festival in Chester County. It'll be 17th, 18th, and 19th. We have a man named uh, Clint Smith who's coming. He wrote a book called um, How the Word is Passed, which I'd also recommend. Okay. Um, it's about how we memorialized enslavement in this country. Hmm. He writes for the Atlantic as well. He's a poet. Um, and we're going to do the, the freedom's table, which is that big, um, secret supper meal again, yeah. we'll do that again. And we're going to try to actually do those across the state because the idea is freedom as it's ideally understood leads to fellowship. And so, you know, we, we want to yeah. see people finding one another at the table and that'll be happening, um, you know, Lord willing across the state of Pennsylvania this June. Awesome. Well, makes me want to live in Pennsylvania, take a, <laughs> take a trip or something. Um, uh, one, one, uh, final question before we get to, there's two questions that I ask every guest on the C4SO podcast we're asking this year, but those are secret questions that I'm, I'm not going to let you know about until the end. Um, but, um, one final question uh, as part of this interview, just what, um, I, I'm sure this work isn't without opposition. Um, we've encountered that as a church, you know, as we try to lean into racial, uh, justice, these kinds of issues. Um, what kinds of opposition do you get in this work and what keeps you going? Well, um, you know, I think one of the sad lessons that I've had to learn, but I think it was important for me to learn is who I'm really going to listen to. Mm. Um, because I spent at times in my life and career an inordinate amount of time listening to people who really didn't care about this. <laughs> they just didn't like it. And I spent a lot of time trying to convince them. Convince you know, people. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and I, I think a few years ago, I just decided to stop doing that, um, mm. which is not to say that I won't kind of critically engage. I will, mm. um, but it's very rare. Mm -hmm. um, and so that means that I tend to work with people who, who care about this work, and I tend not to engage a ton with those who are yeah. opposing it. Um, mm -hmm. but the, the kind of oppositions that you imagine come from, come from both, uh, quote, quote, left and right. Um, the, mm -hmm. from the right, it feels fairly predictable that this, and it's all now caught up in this, in this madness around CRT. Yeah. Um, and so the idea that, <clears throat> that promoting African-American history is somehow inherently racist or the idea right. that, you know, we're trying to re remake history or things like that. Some people mm -hmm. will say, will say that, um, it's really hard to say that about the underground railroad though. <laughs> you know, that's like, <laughs> it's one of these, like, you got to really work hard, um, yeah. to not like that story. Right. Um, <laughs> right. and so, um, that's one of the reasons, you know, of, of going with that story is it, it's, mm -hmm. it's so unassailable in some important respects, but mm -hmm. then on the other side, you know, there are questions about like me being a white person doing this work. Why am I doing this work? Um, mm -hmm. Who gets to be on podcasts? Who gets to, where does the money go? Who gets to be in charge of the creative yeah. activities, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. And those are yeah. those are deeply important questions. I wouldn't say that those are opposition so much as they are calls for accountability. Yeah. Um, 
and we really we really you know listen to those so yeah. i know that there will be opposition especially if we started trying to like work in schools you know some people have asked sure. us if we could develop mm-hmm. an underground railroad curricula for schools and as we're watching this kind of crt school board thing happening that's becoming increasingly implausible um mm-hmm. but um I think part of what I don't have any illusions that we're going to avoid, you know, significant opposition long term. Um, I mean, like, for example, when we start doing the National Memorial, the Underground Railroad, we're definitely and, and we're we're putting we're securing land. People are definitely going to show up at zoning hearings and things like yeah. that. So I imagine yeah. we'll get that. But in general, okay. I've been actually surprised by and grateful for how supportive and encouraging Good. people have been. Good. Well, that's uh, encouraging to hear. Yeah. Um, listeners, if you'd like to check out uh, the work of Voices Underground, you can go to vuproject.org. Uh, I would also highly recommend the book we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. It's a book that Greg co-wrote with Duke Kwan called Reparations, A Christian Call for Repentance and Repair. It is a very compelling historical and theological case for the church's obligation to provide reparations for the oppression of African-Americans. If that sounds crazy to you, you definitely need to read this book. Um, so anyway, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Um, Greg, how can people find you and interact with you online? Um, I mean, I think people can find me on Facebook, um, okay. and then people can find me on Instagram. I'm not a huge DM person, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I definitely can be, can be reached through those two means, and, often, and people often do. Do okay. that if people if people reach out to me in DMs, I'll usually say, "Here's my email, please." Yeah. Um, so I'll just tell you what it is here. It's Greg at vuproject.org. Just Easy just enough. email me there, and um, if people want to talk about any of the things that we've talked about, or you know, and I, this is important, and I, I want to say this is the whole CFRSO. If there are churches that are interested in 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 partnering with others in their community to really identify and promote African-American history in their communities, because these stories are largely ignored by, um, mm-hmm. by, by communities. They've been largely buried. This is where the name Voices Underground comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then we'd love to talk to you about that. Um, and last thing, you know, the, uh, I think I would want to impress churches to, to take that work up. You know, our name really comes from God's going to Cain and saying, I heard your brother's blood crying out from the ground. Um, mm. And that that is what we think has happened in America, that there have been all these stories and people literally that have been buried and hidden and part of the work of the church. Because remember, that's the first justice passage in the Bible. That's right. Part of the work in the church is to listen to those voices and make them known. Mm. Well, that's, that's great. Super compelling. So yeah, so if churches want uh, your help to kind of uh, to know where to go to uncover these stories, find out, hey, what happened? You know, I live in Indianapolis. What happened here? You know, what 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 do we need to know? Um, you, you guys would be willing to help, eh? That's what we do. Okay. Oh, well, I love it. Well, I've got your email address. I might email you a little bit later. Please do. Uh, to talk about some of that stuff. Um, uh, we'll conclude on a little bit lighter note, um, but two questions we're asking everyone this year on the C4SO podcast. One, what's a book, movie, or TV show that you appreciated recently? Um, you know, I went through stranger things again, all, <laughs> yeah. all three seasons. Okay. Um, again, I, I watched it with my daughter earlier and then I just went through it by myself and there was something ab- about the aesthetic. I mean, it's totally when, what my childhood looked like, but yeah. also yeah. just the reminder that the weak and vulnerable can themselves fight for what is good. Um, mm. that was really beautiful to me. And I found myself like 
strangely encouraged watching that show. <laughs> That's great. It. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I haven't seen that one in a while. So, uh, second question, how, how can we pray for you? Uh, thank you. Um, so we're at Voices Underground. We're in the midst of a pretty significant institutional expansion right now, um, where mm-hmm. we are, you know, we're working across the state of Pennsylvania, not just on Juneteenth, but also on Underground Railroad, but also promoting different kinds of African American history, whether it's foodways or the Negro leagues. And as we do that, that as we grow, um, we have to do that with real integrity. And we have mm. to do that carefully, but we also need to do it with some urgency because we have a mm. lot of work to do. <laughs> so um, I would just appreciate prayers for us to steward this work and our friendships and relationships well, um, and to try to take up the work of public storytelling in a way that um, that actually does what we want, that doesn't harm, but heals. And that's that's what we would pray for. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, and thanks for um, being being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.